Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm glad to be with you this morning. And we are on our second to last week of ending Ephesians. We are almost through this journey through Ephesians that we started back in January. And today we talk about being together warriors. As you heard that scripture read, you can see why warriors is such a good metaphor for this passage. I was doing a little reading this week on uh, some different animals and one of the animals that uh, I read about was this little frog in the jungle of Costa Rica. And it's bright red like a tomato. So it's called the tomato frog. And it has a unique defense mechanism. If a predator approaches, it will puff itself up so that it's bigger than it, it normally is and looks scarier. But if the predator attacks, it will emit a milky white substance through the pores of its skin that's poisonous and the, it'll get on the predator's teeth as it's, as it's biting and it'll get in, in its eyes and nose and, and it'll spit the frog out so that it can get rid of the poison. Unfortunately for the frog often, the damage will have already been done and it will still die. In today's passage, Paul warns us that we will be attacked. And he wants to prepare us and equip us so that we're ready with our defense mechanism and it won't be too late, like the tomato frog. And that we will actually have a defense mechanism, uh, our defense is ready, instead of just being unprepared. So, beginning back in chapter 4, verse 17, Paul has been explaining how important it is to put off the old way of life, the old way of life that is lived for ourselves, at the expense of other people, pursuing our own pleasure, our own comfort. And in this way of life, it just leads to destruction as every person is only for themselves and fights off the other person. And instead, we're to put on the new way of life. And in this new way of life, We care about other people, we love other people, we are made right with other people, we're made right with God and we're filled with his love to share with the people around us. In the passages we've looked at the last couple weeks, Paul brings that home. Uh, This isn't just a way of life to live with other people at church or or when you're out, It's, it's everywhere. And so he brings it home to the household. And he explained what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and to submit one to another, to care about the other's interests before our own, and to live in this love relationship where I'm caring for your needs and you're caring for others and my needs. And there's no worry about whether we're loved or not. And in Christ, every person is valued and loved and, and part of this family if they are in Christ. And so um, when we live this way, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're given real life. So now in verses 10 to 20 of chapter 6, Paul tells us that we have an enemy that is working against everything about this new way of life. So listen to Uh, verse 12, where Paul describes our enemy. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces 
of evil in the heavenly realms. When I do premarital counseling, when somebody asks me to officiate f- their wedding, I, do, uh, I wanna prepare them for the best marriage that they can have. And so we do several sessions of, of counseling together before the wedding day. And one of the things that we discuss is that problems will come up. It doesn't seem like it when you're in love. You feel like you're just gonna walk on cloud nine forever, but problems will come up. And when they come up, it's very easy to blame the other person for the problem. And then the person blames back and then you get in this argument and before you know it, you are in this big fight and you don't even remember what the problem is. So to fight that, I, I give them a metaphor. I, I, I invite them into this metaphorical situation where there's three chairs one for the uh, husband, one for the wife, and then one for the problem. And in the situation that I just described, the problem starts the, the fight, but then the, the problem kind of disappears and the, the, the two chairs face each other and they start attacking each other and they become the enemy of each other. And so the invitation is to, instead of doing that, turn together to face the problem so that you're fighting the problem side by side. And you know that your enemy is not each other, your enemy is something else. And therefore, you are starting to fight together for your marriage, for your relationship, and against whatever's in the way. Paul is telling us that our enemy is not people. It's not the other person. It's not people. So often we behave and we believe and we act like our enemy is someone else. We see somebody that doesn't believe the way we do, that does something that we don't like, that maybe even looks at us funny, and, and they become the enemy. We, we start to look at them and think about them as the enemy. And when you're in a battle, it's important to know who the enemy is. And if you're fighting against your allies, the enemy is gaining ground. You're losing. Throughout Ephesians, Paul's been telling us that In this new humanity in Christ, we're a family where every person is valued and loved. And this family loves each other, but it also is wanting to invite others in. We're always wanting to grow our family because God loves every person and he wants everybody to be invited into this place where we are loving people. However, it's very easy to revert back to the old way of life where we're not we think that someone is against us or we we're worried about ourselves and our pleasure and our comfort and, and, and we start to think about ourselves at the expense of other people. And then we start to see other people as the enemy. So Paul explains that our enemy is not other people. Our enemy, our enemies are the devil and the forces of evil in the unseen realm, in the heavenly realm. This heavenly realm he's talked about before. Way back in chapter one, we looked at, uh, we talked about how we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. And then later in chapter one, Paul talks about how Jesus was raised from the dead, but then he was not only raised, but he was seated in the heavenly realms with the Father above all power, above all dominion, above any authority. And so what Paul is 
is trying to help us understand is that there is an unseen realm, the heavenly realm, that is there, and it's just as real as the physical world that we see. And amazingly, there are things happening in both, but amazingly, what happens here affects what happens there, and what happens there affects what happens here. We know that what happens there affects what happens here, but we also learn in chapter 3, verse 10, that what we do affects what happens in the heavenly realms. It says God makes his wisdom known. In chapter 3, verse 10, it says he makes his wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms through the church. So there is a spiritual realm. It does exist even though we can't see it, and it's very real. And chapter 6, verse 12 says... There are authorities, there are powers, and spiritual forces that are evil in the, in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm that we cannot see. And these are the enemy, not people. It's hard to fight an unseen enemy. It's, it's, it's easier to fight what we see. And so we see people that are different than us or that believe differently or think differently, and we kind of start to think of them as the enemy. We not, might not actively think that way, but the way we act and the way we, we think about and the way we talk about, um, we think of them as the enemy, especially when we see people living this old way of life where it's all about themselves. And they're still entrapped in the lies of this old way of life. And the problem is they're still not the enemy. Paul tells us repeatedly that we were once just like that. The only difference is that God has shone the light and he's, he's revealed that to us and we've given, been given the opportunity to accept him and we have and so he's made us clean. We're no better on our own. We, we're better because he's saved us. And so we've accepted that gift and, and just because people are still living that old way of life, they may not have even heard about it yet the new way of life, or even if they're still rejecting it, they're still, they're not the enemy. The enemy is unseen. The enemies are the evil spiritual forces in the unseen realms that are feeding the lies that people are believing. So, we have an enemy, and this enemy is powerful. Just think about the words that Paul uses for this enemy. He calls them rulers and authorities and powers of evil in the heavenly realms. He wants us to understand that fighting them is not going to be easy. And not only are they powerful, they're also wicked and cunning. Back in chapter 5, Ron Johnston took us through uh, talking about how there's dark and light. And Jesus is the light that exposes the darkness, but darkness is where wicked li wickedness likes to hide. It's where lies can abound because the light exposes those lies so the enemy, they, they try to pull people into the darkness and, and into these lies so that where they won't be exposed so that they can live in them and not realize the light of Jesus. Our enemy is wicked and it's cunning. One of the ways it's cunning is that it, uh, they promote the lie that people are the enemy. If they can, in our metaphorical situation with the three chairs, if they can disappear and have us facing each other and fighting each other, then they're gaining ground. 
And even more, if they can help us believe that they don't even exist, if we can explain it away through other things, then they're winning as well. So Paul's very clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against these enemies that are powerful, wicked, and cunning. And even though we can't see them, they are very real. Now, I spent a long time trying to describe this enemy, trying to make sure that we understand what Paul is saying because it's so important to understand our enemy in order to fight the enemy because we do have an enemy and and the enemy is working hard against everything Paul has been talking about and we don't see it, but it's there. And it, it would seem like when we've been talking about this new way of life that we can live in love and light and blessing it would seem like everybody would want to be a part of this. Why would they want to live in this old way of life in the darkness and, and trying to get for ourselves, but in, in, in doing that, we're, we're losing life and, and, and we're separating ourselves from each other and fighting other people. Why would people not want to be part of this new way of life? And you and I know if we are in the light or even if we're not, that this living in the light, it's not an easy way to live. It is difficult. And I think this passage helps us understand a bit more why it's so difficult. We live in a broken world where the spiritual forces of evil are feeding us lies and telling us that we need to look out for ourselves, that we need to do whatever we can to take care of ourselves even at the expense of other people. And if, if they're getting in our way, then we need to fight them as if they are the enemy. So Paul tells us in verse 10 to be strong. But notice that he doesn't say be strong by working out harder, by reading more, by trying harder. I mean, these are all the ways that we try to be strong in the physical world. If I want to get stronger for, for an athletic competition or whatever I, I want to do, I, I need to work out harder. I need to try harder. I need to make myself stronger, but Paul doesn't say that's how we be strong in this fight. He says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, the enemy is strong and we cannot get stronger to handle the enemy on our own. But Jesus, he's stronger. We already talked about in verse, chapter 1, verse 20, how Jesus is seated with God in the heavenly realms above every authority, every power, every dominion, every name that can be invoked. In our world, we, uh, we love stories about good versus evil. And in the epic stories, there's a question about who's going to win? Who's going to win out this time? Who, as if they're equal. But Paul and the rest of the Bible, they know the truth. Good God, Almighty God, he's, more, he's infinitely more powerful than any evil. He is in complete control and he's working out his perfect plan. And his plan does include suffering and struggle and we don't like that, we don't get it. But remember, God's not sitting by watching us suffer. He doesn't take entertainment in our struggle. He enters into it. Jesus, almighty God, became human. Pastor Kevin explained that a little bit ago. And he ate with people. He talked with people. 
He suffered with people. He wept with people. He was mocked by people. He was spit upon. He was beaten. He was put to death. And that was painful enough, but even more painful for him, being Almighty God, was being separated from his Father when he took on our sin, when he became sin for us. And he did this willingly so that we can have new life in him. Because he rose from the grave and his power overcame the worst that evil could do. He has the victory and he invites us to give our lives to him, our old way of life, so that he can give us this new way of life. And he forgives us and he makes us clean so that we too can have victory in him. So good has already won. God already has the victory. He's got this. What he wants us to do is to be strong in him. We don't have to fight on our own. We don't have to try harder. We're to be strong in Christ because in Christ, the power is available for whatever we're asked to do. We can't get stronger to do it on our own. But this is the struggle. The enemy tries to tell us that it can't be done, that we can't do this, and he's right. That's the beauty of the lie. He's right, we can't do it. We cannot stand against the enemy unless we are in Christ. And that's the lie. It can be done when we're in Christ because Christ has done it. It's his power at work in us and through us that does it. So you can see why this is such a difficult battle because it's about giving control to someone else. When we trust someone else, we give control to them. And what Paul is telling us is to trust Jesus, give control to the person of Jesus. And that is hard because we want to be in control. It means that he's in control and not us. For some of us, this is the hardest part about being in Christ, in this new humanity of love and and all these blessings because it's about giving up control. And we, some of us, we we hate not being in control. We want to, we want to drive. We want to, we want to know what's coming and we want to be ready for it and we want to to do what it takes to to navigate through that. And for those of us who struggle so much with this, with giving up control to someone else, we need to realize that we're believing a lie of the enemy. The enemy says, you can do it better than God. That's why you need control. And that's a lie. God's the only one that knows exactly what we need when we need it. Exactly what anybody needs. What, exactly what everything is happen, what's happening with everything. Only in Christ can we have the victory against this powerful, wicked, and cunning enemy. For others of us, it's not as hard to give up control. It's actually one of our greatest comforts, and and we can rest in this assurance that God is in control. However, there's a danger for those of us who who are, are content just to say, you're in control, God, because we're still called to take a stand against the devil's schemes. God is in complete control. He wants us to rest assured in him, to give him control and trust and strength. However, he also invites us into the battle. We do play a role, but we trust in his strength to do it. He 
He has the victory. He will give us, but he tells us to stand. He, he says, trust me, but follow my instructions. Trust me, but obey what I tell you to do. And as you obey, I will give you the strength needed. It, we, we work together with him. He, he invites us to, to actually play a part and to be, to have significance. It's amazing. He has the victory and yet he invites us in to fight with him as if we have something to offer. And so Paul tells us four times to take our stand against the devil's schemes. Once in verse 11, twice in verse 13, and once in verse 14 he says, stand firm. So how do we take this stand? Paul says we put on the armor of God. And this armor of God, this is a beautiful metaphor that Paul borrows from a couple different places. As he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, he's in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. Now this Roman soldier probably isn't all geared up for battle, but Paul knows what needs to happen for this Roman soldier to be geared up for battle. So sitting there writing this, looking at this Roman soldier, thinking about how to prepare Christians for the battle we face against the unseen forces, he sees this metaphor of, of how the Roman soldier gears himself up for battle and how we can gear ourselves up for battle. So that's one of the metaphors he borrows from. Another one is uh, some, when God put, actually puts on armor. Isaiah 59, 17 uh, uses the same imagery. It says that God put on, the righteous, put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So Paul is borrowing this metaphor that he uses to, be, to, to get ready to take our stand from these, these two different places, and it's a beautiful metaphor of being armed for battle. And so he lists the characteristics that we need to be armed for battle uh, as the Roman soldier would put on his armor. And so the, the soldier needs to put on the belt of truth, or, or the belt, to, to gird up his loins and, and, and to free uh, the clothing from his legs to be able to fight. So we put on the belt of truth. And as we've already seen, the enemy fights with lies and deception. And how do you fight against lies and deceit? With the truth. And the truth is everything he's been telling us in the letter about who God is, what he's done, and who we are because of what he's done and who he is. So we're to put on the belt of truth by resting in this truth of who God is, by understanding it, by, by thinking it over, by recognizing it, by resting in it, and by living this truth out in the way we live every day. So we put on this belt of truth by just living out this truth, resting in this truth. Next, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate protects our vital organs. And so Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And this is, again, part of the truth. It's understanding that we are made right with God. We don't have to worry about whether we're right with God. We don't have to worry about uh, proving ourselves or, or um, earning what we have. We're already in because of what Jesus did. When we asked him to forgive us, we, and gave our life to him, we were made right, and we're in him, and so we can rest in this, 
in his righteousness that's now our righteousness. And we, we also need to walk in that righteousness. So we put on the, bre- uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and next come the footwear. Now the Roman footwear was, um, w- was called a half boot and, and it was made of leather. The, the, the straps were are tied to the ankles and the shins and then the soles were studded. They had studded soles, but yet the toes were free. And so this would allow them secure footing and yet mobility. And Paul says, our footwear is the gospel of peace. And in the gospel of peace, we find solid footing and freedom. Gospel of peace is is the good news of the blessings that we've talked about. We are made at peace with God and at peace with each other. We're reconciled both to God and each other. And so we've understood this gospel, this good news of peace, and we're also free to share it with everybody around us. And so we rest sure in this gospel of peace and we freely share this gospel of peace and we're ready to do it all the time. So that means we really need to understand it and be versed in it, continually thinking about it and talking about it and and rehearsing it. So we are armed with God's truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the feet equipped with the good news of the gospel, good news of peace. Next, we take up the shield of faith. Now, the Roman soldier's shield was pretty big. It was 1.2 meters high by about three quarters of a meter wide so that you could cover the whole person because the enemies, they would take uh, arrows and they would dip them in pitch or tar and, and, and light them on fire and shoot them. And so this, at the enemy, at the Roman soldiers, and so the, the Roman soldiers would put up their shield and they were specially designed to, to catch those arrows and also put out the flame. And so we're to take up the shield of faith. It's faith, it's trusting that God's promises and his protection, it's turning to him for strength in faith that protects us from the lies and accusations that Satan shoots at us. But even more, what I find so fascinating about this metaphor of the shield is that Roman soldiers could link their shields together to make a wall of defense. And not only a wall, but they could even put it over top of them so that they have this, this barrier that all these arrows would come and hit their shields and then they could, and then, and they were protected. And so what Paul is telling us is we don't fight this battle alone. The whole thing has been us together, fighting side by side. So my faith affects your faith, your faith affects my faith, our faith affects each other's faith. And we build up this wall of faith that protects us from the lies and the accusation that Satan and the evil forces throw at us. Paul's last two pieces of armor are the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The Roman uh, soldier's helmet was made of a a tough metal like bronze or iron and it it could withstand all kinds of forces except maybe a, a direct hit with a hammer or an ax. And so it was very strong. And Paul says that Christian's helmet is our salvation. In Christ, we've been forgiven. We've been delivered from enslavement to sin and destruction. We've been adopted into his family. And we can rest secure in that. That's 
the helmet of our salvation, knowing that we are secure in him. And not only are we secure now, but we're secure for eternity to be forever with him. Even after the death of our physical body, we will have resurrected bodies and we'll be together with him for eternity. And we can rest assured in that. That's our helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And this is our weapon of defense and offense. Jesus used the word of God as his defense against Satan when Satan attacked with his lies as he was tempted in the wilderness. So we can use it to defend ourselves against satanic attack. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and active. So it's also our offense. We can use it to share with other people and it convicts people and it tells them about who God is and what he's done and, and who they can be. And so we, uh, we take up our offense with the sword by sharing this word and inviting others in. And when, others, when God's family grows, Satan and his forces are being defeated. So we can defend and take, take offense against the evil forces. We're gonna cover verses 18 and 20 more next week. But for now, I wanna say that Paul makes it clear that prayer is to saturate every piece of this spiritual armor. We can't put on the truth, the belt of truth without prayer. We can't put on the breastplate of righteousness without prayer. We can't put on the footwear. We can't put on any of this armor without prayer. Prayer is foundational. Prayer is our connection with God. Through prayer, we talk with him and we hear from him as he speaks to back to us in the word and, and prayerfully, this is all steeped in prayer is what Paul is saying. Prayer is, is so foundational. As you think about this armor and putting on this armor, it's really all about putting on Jesus. It's so aligning ourselves with Jesus that he is the center and the focus of all that we are, all that we're about. I did some more, I, I read about another animal this week. It's the Alaskan bull moose, Alaskan bull moose. And I learned that the, the male bull moose fight for dominance in the fall breeding season. And so they need their antlers to be strong because they, they actually collide their antlers together. I can't imagine the headache they would experience, but they, this is how they do it. They, they collide with each other. And, and sometimes the bigger uh, antlers will just scare off others. But if they do collide, they need to have stronger antlers than the other one. The one with the strongest antlers wins. The one with the biggest bulk wins. Which means that the battle fought in the fall is really won in the preparation during the summer when they have to eat like crazy and they have to find the best nutrition so that they can be the bulkiest with the strongest uh, antlers in order to win and fight the battle. What Paul is telling us is that just like this bull moose, we need to prepare for battle ahead of time. Because it's not if Satan and the evil forces attack, it's when. They will attack. And usually it's in moments of weakness or, or unpreparedness. 
And so Paul is saying we need to continually be putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, all this armor so that we are ready. So that we're ready with the truth. We're secure in our righteousness. We're ready to share the gospel. We rest secure in our salvation, in faith, and we know the word. All saturated in prayer. So have you sharpened your sword? Are you in the word? Do you, do you delight? Are you finding joy in, in Jesus, in learning more about who he is and what he's done? Are you talking about it? Are you thinking about it? Are you rehearsing it? Are you, is it, is it part of everything you do? Because we can't stand against the enemy in our own strength. We need to be strong in his mighty strength by putting on this armor, his spiritual armor that we find only in Christ. The invitation this morning, as always, is to turn to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Open up to him. Ask him to forgive you. Give your life to him. Rejoice in his love. And join him in the battle against the lies and deceit that the enemy throws at us in his strength, knowing that he will give us victory. He already has the victory. He invites us in to continue fighting until he brings all things right. We are being together warriors. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. As Ephesians continually tells us, Jesus is central. Jesus is our strength. In Christ, we find every spiritual blessing. We find reconciliation and peace with each other and with you. We learn who the enemy really is and we give, we're given power to fight. God, help us to be warriors in your kingdom. You've given us significance. Help us to, to turn to you and, and just rejoice in that significance and fight together with each other and with you against the spiritual forces of the unseen realm that hate everything you're doing. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, and strengthen us to live for you and to fight together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.